With cybersecurity becoming more complex and the threats even more dangerous, knowing what to do to protect yourself can seem like an impossible task. That is until now. Welcome to the Cyberbytes Podcast, where we help you filter through the noise one bite at a time. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Nick. I am so glad to actually be recording an episode. The last few months with everything going on with COVID has just completely, completely screwed up everything. As most of you are very much aware how much life has changed since COVID-19 hit all of these government restrictions and mandates and orders and all of the complete, what seems at times, destruction of our constitutional republic. But we're not going to get into a politics conversation today in a little bit more somber remembrance mood of the 19th anniversary of 9-11. As I posted earlier on my personal Facebook page, I will never, ever forget where I was that moment I found out that the towers had been hit by the hijacked planes. I was in my sophomore year of college at Indiana State University. I was working as a student lab, computer lab supervisor, was in the health and human uh, sciences building their lab, just monitoring as an early morning shift. My daily routine for that uh, particular job was go in, get the lab opened up, get all the computers turned on, and then I'd sit back at my desk and, and basically catch up on homework, peruse the news sites, because, again, I'm a, a news junkie, and that morning was a little bit different. I get in normal, start perusing the news sites, because I you know, get in pretty early, work uh, for a couple hours, and then go to my first class. And around 8 o'clock, I noticed the, the news sites getting really, really slow. And Granted, this was the early 2000s, and internet speeds weren't what they are today. So, relatively speaking, the sites were slow. CNN, Fox News, um, all all MSNBC. You know, kind of, I am the one to to jump around and and read from various sites. And when multiple sites were going extremely slow kind of got this eerie sensation like man what's what's going on here and you know i'm in the middle of this building they're you know getting a radio signal was basically impossible obviously the news sites were really slow so it was kind of unnerving and then as it gets past eight o'clock you know eight thirty you know, I hear students and, and other folks in the hallway start talking and just, I remember we're going to war. I, somebody 
you know, some random person in the hall who says, we're going to war. Osama bin Laden just attacked us. And the sense of holy and pardon my French shit, what the hell is going on? I mean, started sinking in. And, you know, personally, the, you know, I had just recently at that time, you know, broken up with my girlfriend and, you know, was going through some other, you know, you know, that, you know, post breakup stuff. We'll get into the, all the details there, but I mean, that helps kind of frame my, my point of view and my state of mind at the time. And you know, my thoughts were like, what's going on, you know, with, you know, where she at her, her brother-in-law was in the military and they had just moved to, Montana, I believe. I mean, it's been a few years. But anyway, so my thoughts of, of the folks in the military started coming up as I knew several folks that were early on in their military careers at that point. And just the uncertainty of how our lives are going to be affected because of these attacks really started developing. And then the the kind of almost chaos and just the energy at that point was palpable. You could just feel the nervous energy on campus that day. And, you know, just thinking about my friends and family members uh, that are across the country, it was very, very eerie, very spooky, you know, a little bit of fear kind of because of that uncertainty and that unknown aspect was was really crazy and had not you know had no comparison or you know those things that we were going through could really not be compared to what was going on in DC and in uh, New York City uh, with the the folks actually dealing with actually in Pennsylvania too um, with that and and, I'll, and and just our hearts and, and our thoughts and prayers with those uh, folks affected true really directly uh, affected by the towers coming down and the you know 3000 plus people who were killed that day and then the aftermath of that you know the, part of it that solidarity of the nation coming together and the anger and the hate and the you know fear that were a part of that, but also the 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 sense of mourning and loss of again those three thousand plus people that were killed that day. I mean, it was just absolutely something. And as I mentioned on my Facebook post today, that I hope my daughters never really have to go through. And I know everything that's happened since COVID with the riots, and we're going to call them rioters, uh, the ones that are doing the destruction uh, in these cities, including here in Indianapolis, they're rioters. There's, we're not going to mince words about that with the social justice issues. And, you know, in the Black Lives Matter folks, Antifa, who are causing destruction in this country and we have and and I would tie this in to 911 
is people have forgotten. Those who experienced 9-11 either directly or indirectly have forgotten. They're not, there's a group of them. Not everybody, because there's folks like myself and others that I know that remember and and don't want the nation to, to go through that again. But as I, I was starting to write in this post is and, and ended up kind of backing out of it a little bit because I just I couldn't get the the right words to come out. But there is a group of people, an, almost an entire generation of people out there that have been born since 9/11 happened and who are so removed from that feeling. And right or wrong, I mean, we are where we are for various number of reasons, but they have not experienced what many folks, you know, from my age and, and down and above that were, you know, alive during that time had experienced. And I think there's something lost in that or lost in that. And it's a shame we are where we are today with all this social discord that is happening. And there is an entire generation of people out there that don't know how bad it can be. And they're, again, sorry for my language, pissed off, disgruntled at society. Rightly or wrongly, that's, you know, that's the way it is. Not trying to get necessarily at the heart of why they are so angered at the way things are. And I think some of those reasons have to do with our response as a nation since 9-11. Basically, we've been in some sort of active military engagement, call it war, uh, even though technically war was never declared, but some sort of military engagement since 9-11, going on 19 years, and the toll that that has taken on our military servicemen and women, their families, and us as a nation for being in constant state of alertness to the point where I think we're a little bit numb to that. All the economic issues because of the trillions of dollars that have been spent on national defense and the military activities that have happened overseas. There's all of this. Is, I mean, it, it's so complicated, so intertwined. Again, there's not just one thing. But that is, again, the, the, the aftermath of 9-11 is one of those anchor points in everything that has happened and cascaded and from that moment, I think, contributes in some form or, or shape or fashion. But not, uh, not trying to go too far into the weeds there because I really you know, thought it was needed to take you know, time today for the show to really remember those individuals who lost their lives on 9-11 
and even those firefighters and medics and police officers that responded to the scene that lost their lives then and then those that have succumbed to health issues as a result of cancer because of all of the the dust and and junk that they were exposed to on the scene and all of the you know military servicemen and women who have you know died in or were killed in action and those that were affected we need just to remember that remember them and the the sacrifices that they've made and just remember life is precious the the cost of uh, of what has happened since then goes beyond much more beyond just the dollars it, there's no amount of money you could put on the loss of of life and we have to remember that we despite all that's going on in our country we still live in a really damn good place. Could it be better? Yes, it could always be better. There's always room for improvement. And when we see something wrong, yes, we need to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. But what we can't do is be so angry, so destructive, that we go and literally burn down our cities, our towns the kill as a result of that anger and that hate it's not going to solve anything and those who were doing the right thing by protesting exercising their first amendment rights their message gets diminished as a result of these rioters regardless if i agree with the particular positions these protesters have i will absolutely 100% every time stand up for their right to peacefully assemble and protest and air their grievances. And I know that I'm not in their shoes. I'm not looking at it from their perspective. I have not been in their shoes that have led them to feel that way, to think that way. So it is not for me to dismiss their position. What we can do when we have those differences is talk it out. Get to the heart of why, or at least try to get to the heart of why they have come to that particular set of views and opinions. But we've got to talk about the facts. The facts matter. The facts absolutely matter. And we have to be sensible or sensible and reasonable when we work through our issues. And that is a lot easier said than done because when you put emotions into it, things get complicated, they get dirty, they get messy really fast. And for those that haven't experienced what the other person has experienced, but we have to have an open mind. We have to listen. And as my wife tells my kids, not just hear or listen to respond. We actually truly have to hear these people, the, the other person out to get to the heart of what's going on. So thought it was important to bring up, uh, it, it, to remember this day, share a little bit of my experience on that day. And everybody has that went through it has their own 
story to tell that's important. The feelings, the the emotions, thought processes, experiences should be shared, but we cannot forget and we should not forget these individuals that lost their lives that day. We need to remember so we don't let history repeat itself. We need to make better decisions as a country. Our political leaders need to make better decisions. We need to hold our elected leaders accountable when they don't do right by us, when they take advantage of us, they exert more authority than they are constitutionally allowed to. And if we don't do that, then they will keep applying more of that almost dictator-like power over us. The only reason that they are allowed to continue to do that is because we allow them to continue to do that. But let's not repeat or have history repeated because we do not remember it. We do not remember our vows and our promises that we made that day. We do not educate our children and that generation and the generations to come about what it meant to to come together, unite together as a nation, how quickly we have forgotten as a country. Let's not forget. With that said, I'm going to move on a little bit. I, I want to take, again, that, that first little bit of the, the show to remember today. So my company, Avari Cyber, has partnered with the Cyber Resilience Institute and the Cyber Threat Intelligence Network to participate in the Sea-Watch Elections 2020 training program. This training is interdisciplinary across the domains of cyber intelligence, social media, and international cyberspace conflict. This enables students to develop cross-disciplinary knowledge and skills and is structured so that students with diverse backgrounds can participate in an interdisciplinary team. The course culminates in the capstone project where students concentrate on attaining knowledge along the intelligence continuum of collection, analysis, sharing, and reporting. Training Registration for training is open now. The link will be provided in the show notes, but you can go to cyberresiliencyinstitute.org programs slash CWATCH2020. Again, that is cyberresilienceinstitute slash programs slash CWATCH2020. The link will be provided in the show notes, but do have a short video that I want to play. We are under siege from malicious threat actors and fraudsters all around the world threatening the U.S. elections. You can do something about it. Join us and learn about some of the skills you need to be a cyber observable threat hunter or a social media threat hunter. You can join us 
and become part of the Sea Watch. Enroll now. Classes are all online. Classes start October 5th. If you're interested in this training or know someone who would be interested in the training, they can contact me or you can contact me at nsturgeon at avaricyber.com. I can provide you all the details about the training, what's expected, timing, cost, all of that, and more. But this is a great program, a lot of good opportunities for those who are interested in getting into cybersecurity as a career, share this show, share the links, all of that good stuff, uh, and get this out there to your networks and anybody who, again, who you think would be interested in this training. So we're coming up on a very, very potentially another anchor point in society with these elections that are coming up in November, the presidential race is one of the more divisive, ugly races that I've seen in a presidential election. They're usually not pretty in general, but from a, you know, the perspective of our constitutional Republic, I I do believe that, this will be a, a decision point for us as a country. I personally am not probably going to be voting either Republican or Democrat because I honestly, again, I've, I've said on the Cyberbytes program and on the CyberNow program that I'm not a party person. I vote for the one who meets or is as similar to my own political principles and personal principles than party. I think the party system is part of the the problem (laughs) with our, or at least the two party system is a big part of, uh, of our problems is people want to please the quote unquote party and they want to stay in power. So they will cave on their own personal principles to do what the party wants. So I, I'm not a Trump supporter. I've never been. I think he has done done some good, but I also think he's done a lot of bad. The spending that has happened on it and continued to happen without any reduction. You know, we've had tax decreases, we've had regulation reform, which have been good, but we have not decreased our spending as a nation, which our deficit and debt just continue to grow. Again, not a Trump supporter. Absolutely think Biden is one of the absolute worst candidates, presidential candidates in history. And that's saying a lot, both on the Republican and Democrat side. And I think getting to a little bit of a cybersecurity perspective, that division that is happening between the two parties really makes it ripe for countries like Russia and China who Russia wants Trump to win, and then China wants Biden to win. Even though they are politically aligned, those two countries are, which really makes me think there could be a 
a little bit of a concerted effort between the two, even though because Trump has been way more hard on China with the tariffs and and the sanctions than he has on, on Russia and, and China wanting to continue to exert their political influence on this globe. I still think because of that alignment, they're not going to get too crazy in what they do. I, I think it's interesting, for, again, from that cybersecurity perspective with the the advanced persistent threat groups that are within the the those two countries, the amount of activity that comes out of their national cyber directorates and how that support, if you will, for one campaign over the other on both sides, the influence operations that happen, whether it's the you know bots, the bot farms that are out there amplifying um, disinformation, fake news, and their support for the other candidates and how that goes against each other, but also helps kind of amplify the division between the two parties and the really the kind of clear lines that have been drawn between the Republicans and Democrats, even though I do think they're the you know different sides of the same coin. But from a social perspective, how that con- would continue to amplify and, and pull us as a nation apart, it's extremely concerning to me from a you know cybersecurity perspective. Uh, everyone's focused, or I say everyone, but those in the cybersecurity field from the nations, uh, from our federal government and even at the state, so locked down and worried about the voting machines. I, I tell you, I've done extensive research into this and even post the 2016 election. Bang for the buck. These other nation states, adversarial nations to the U.S., will get more bang for their buck on doing the disinformation campaigns and putting money into amplifying those things that either support or, or help drive a wedge in, into this country than trying to hack into all of these voting machines the amount of resources needed for that, the, the complexity of each of the, on a technical level of each of these um, voting machines, let alone adding in the, the challenges of getting to enough machines to actually make a difference or change the vote. Now, the voter registration sites and those databases, uh, you know, that there's some challenges there, even though that's technically an easier target for a cyber group to go after than going after the the machines. Now, granted, with some data analytics, I'm I'm sure in running through some of the the algorithms that are out there, you could probably find out. Okay, and I think it's been done. I don't know how accurate it is, but I've I've seen some examples of this online. Well. If I concentrate on these particular points in the country, uh, districts, voting districts, then that would have changed the election in 2016. I'm sure 
using some predictive analytics and those algorithms, you can do some similar analysis on if I change enough votes here, how that cascades across the, the country. I know the national political committees, you know, the Republican Party and the, the Democrat parties probably are, you know, they've got those data scientists working on them so they can understand where they need to, to spend their resources on. So I don't think it's completely impossible for our adversaries to do the same type of analysis, but to be able to a, either from a, a influence campaign, disinformation campaign, or either from a more what you would consider cyber attack, you know, through the wires, as I call it, type of cyber attack to figure out if I change in, if enough votes get changed through hacking the system, then how that cascades throughout the country. Again, think it's very plausible for adversarial nations to do those type of, of predictive models. Now, executing on those is a whole nother story. I think, again, it's a little bit more challenging in, in practice to do those things, uh, even with the amount of resources that these nation states, Russia and China and others, would have at their disposal. But like I said, and I, I've stuck to this since my analysis you know, four years ago, uh, well, technically three years ago, that the, again, the influence operations, the disinformation campaigns, more of the psyops type of, of activities probably yield more bang for the buck than trying to do a through the wires attack. And looking at this strategically, you know, even though there's not a clear definition on what war looks like uh, when cyber is involved and what is an act of war, uh, there's still some some definition around around that and provoking us through those. Even though technically you can have some covert cyber activities, it's a little bit more direct of an activity uh, going through the wires than than trying to do these influence operations. It's risky, or say riskier, in my opinion, to do it through the wires attack on the cyber, or the electron, electron, uh, excuse me, election infrastructure than setting up these bot farms where they can set them up in their own countries. And because of the way the internet's set up, it's very easy to amplify either folks that they want to support or if they're trying to attack, you know, these Trump memes or Biden memes that are out there, it's really easy to amplify those when you have the, these farms set up. So anyway, get to the point where I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. So I think I, you know, just, uh, I'll say this, it'll, the elections from a cybersecurity standpoint, is is something that I will continue to pay attention to, at, you know, especially as we get closer to time. Um, I, I, for me, again, watching how Russia and China continue to support the opposing candidates, you know, Russia with Trump supporting him, and then, or at least wanting Trump to win, um, and then, you know, China 
wanting Biden to win, how that plays. Is there any kind of uh, coordinated efforts, at least from, hey, we're not going to cross this line, you know, to, you know, break our alliance or something like that, um, just to see how their efforts through disinformation, um, campaigns or, or other more open uh, kind of you know, support of, of their candidates of choice. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm sure there will be some attacks on the, the uh, political parties, which, again, uh, it, it always bugs me when I see this out there, is that an attack on the political party is an attack on the U.S. government. That's not the case. It, it, they are separate organizations. The Democrat National Committee is a private organization. It is not a part of the government. The same thing with the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party. So even though they may be trying to attack our, our system, it isn't an attack on the the actual government. And I just I think that kind of gets convoluted in the way a lot of people see our political parties. They are private organizations. Yes, they're very closely tied to our government at state, local, federal levels, but they are not the government. Anyway, that's just a, a pet peeve of mine. So with that said, it's it's really good to be back behind the microphone. It's been a, a long time, and I'm a little rusty, so I, I apologize for that. Uh, had a lot of grand plans uh, for the podcast this year. But uh, life had had another um, uh, <laughs> kind of plan for me. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, we roll with it. I did sc- start grad school uh, back up here a couple weeks ago. I'm going after my PhD in technology. So I will have been busy with that. I you know, was getting prepped for that a little bit. Uh, over the summer because of some of the classes that I knew I was going to take that I needed a little bit kind of a, a, some self-learning to get prepped for at least one of these classes. Uh, and it's it, it's trying to keep the, the number of classes per semester down. So it'll take me a little bit longer to get it complete. Uh, trying to keep the workload as as minimal as possible, the stress down as much as I can. I mean, it is grad school. It's going to be stressful, but um, it's good to be back. Good to be learning, expanding my my own knowledge set, and, and get this PhD done at some point. It, you know, I I want to I want to do it. That's the big thing. There really isn't a whole lot of additional um, return on investment from a career standpoint uh, that it'll do. But I, if I figured that if I'm going to spend the time doing something, because I'm not much of a certification uh, guy, I just, I, I'm not a test taker. I've never been a test taker. Uh, I do well and because I've learned how to do well in the college s- setting uh, in that more traditional learning role. Uh, and the material that I get to learn, I get to pick. I get to choose the classes I want. So it, it's something that I know will keep me engaged through a you know, 16-week semester. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully at the end of this, uh, I'll be able to be called doctor. 
So um, I'm going to make my friends and family call me doctor. Uh, <laughs> just teasing for those of uh, the one or two of, uh, of you that are listening to this episode. But um, yeah, it, so it, it's busy. I am will try to get to a more consistent, uh, even if it's monthly, just to take 30 minutes or so to, to record an episode because I do enjoy the podcast. I, I, even though really kind of free flowing this episode today, uh, it's just kind of things that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, so not really scripted out. It is definitely more of a, uh, ad lib, uh, improv conversation today, but it, it's good to be back. Uh, love, being able to, to use my roadcaster and, and my um, procaster microphone and, and getting some mileage on it. And it's just good to get out there and, and talk to you all. It's, I know it's been a few months, though I will, I will give uh, some advertisement to my other podcast, Books Over Beer. We did create a kind of a spinoff called Discussion and Drinks. We got a few episodes of that under our belt. Also a books over beer episode out there. Um, but it, it's crazy with as much time as I've been home. Uh, you know, I've been working. Yeah, that's the other thing too. I, um, the, my company, Avari Cyber, uh, really kind of took off over this summer, was helping out with some training and consulting work on the side so I, you know, as much as I love doing this, uh, the the paid work is definitely um, nice to have. It's good to get out there. Um, that paid work helps me to be able to put on this show. Uh, you know, I've had a, a sponsor or two uh, over the last couple of years, but I have been bootstrapping this podcast, uh, both in the previous form and in this form. And so being able to, to do some work, you know, some consulting work side, side hustle, if you will, has been nice to be able to support the show. And it's because of that work that I'm able to do this. Uh, so I'm not getting the looks from my wife when I say, Hey, I want to buy a, you know, you know, $300 mic, or I need to spend, you know, this money on hosting services, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, thankful that the company's there again, it's Avari cyber. You can check the company out at Avari cyber.com. Um, we've got some interesting things going on with it. Um, trying to balance, you know, again, grad school and the consulting work and my full-time job, uh, to, to be able to support, my family, but also to support my passion project that is Cyber Bites Podcast. Anyway, I I love it, man. I, I I'm energized to be back behind the mic. I'm already thinking about what I want to do for the next episode. Again, it may be two weeks. It may be a, a once a month while I'm in grad school. Whenever I can carve out the time, but we will be back. We are not going anywhere. I've still got plenty of folks that I want to interview as part of this show. All of that is still there. We are alive and kicking for now, God willing. And until then, until the next time, 
I get behind this microphone. You guys be safe, be good, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon.